0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Let me start with the Yankees. How about that? Dodger Jim, starting with the Yankees. SoCal Rome, going back to back with New York takes on this program. Yesterday, the Knicks. Today, the Yankees. So the Yankees lose to Atlanta last night, 4-1. They're now 6-11 on the year. I don't know about you. Right about now, I'm thinking, I'm thinking the Yankees suck. That's what I'm thinking. They're not good. Not good. They're not good. They're below not good. Below not good. They are lose six of your last seven. Not good. They are tied for the worst record in the American League. Not good. They're off to the worst start in 30 years. Not good. Not good. Kind of an upside-down world are we living in where the New York Knicks are pure electricity and the New York Yankees are complete hacks. Again, these are the New York Yankees we're talking about, the Bronx Bombers, the guys in pinstripes, and they are garbage right now. Literally everything is off about this team right now. They've got all this talent, and they're doing absolutely nothing with it. And this is not a new thing either. If we go back to last week, when they lost to Tampa Bay Friday, fans were so embarrassed by what they were seeing, they started to fire baseballs onto the field in disgust. Timeout. out. Paul? Yeah, I guess maybe a little baseball thrown onto the field.
1: Well, let's see. Well, now, Jerry mm-hmm. Lane, um, concerned about uh, what's going on out there in left field with uh, a number
0: of those objects. Being thrown onto the field. Boy, that is just clownish. Those objects that are being thrown onto the field. Quote, that is just clownish. It's a great line. And it's right. That was just clownish by the fans. You can't ever throw crap onto the field. Even if what you're seeing on the field is crap. Clownish. You cannot throw crap at crap. But you could see where they'd want to do so, right? And when they're not throwing crap on the field, they're booing the hell out of the hometown slugs. That's how bad the Yankees are right now. That's how bad the entire Yankee experience is right now. Most fans who go to games today are so pumped just to be there, just excited and relieved to be able to attend a sporting event in person once again. Do you have any idea how bad you have to be? during this time to have fans throwing crap and booing you. and it's happening to the Yankees on the regular. And they deserve it. They're six and 11. They've got the worst offense in the American League. They've got the lowest slugging percentage in the major leagues. As a team, they're hitting 163 in their last seven games. I mean, it's so bad that last night Atlanta didn't even have their best player available. They had only four hits, and they still won. Not only won, but won easily. Atlanta had four hits, and they were never in any danger of losing that game at all. Even though he probably should be, Yankees manager Aaron Boone is not panicking. He knows the talent that exists on that roster, or at least the talent that should exist on that roster. You know, I know we're walking out there with heavy artillery each and every night. We just got to unlock it right now, and we will. Yeah, I see it working, skip, kind of, except right now that heavy artillery is blasting its own feet and faces right off. Then again, Boone cannot hit for them. And right now, they can't hit at all. In fact, they can't hit, they can't pitch, and they're really not that good defensively either. Other than that, they're a pretty damn good baseball team. They just can't hit or pitch or catch the ball. Overlook all of that and you've got yourself a pretty solid crew. And yes, I'm well aware that you can turn a season around after a bad April. I am well aware that the 97 Yankees started 5-10 and 10 and then they went on to finish with 99 wins. I'm also well aware that nobody's going to run away and hide in the AL East at this point. As bad as the Yankees have been, and they've been crap, they're only five games out of first. So it is doable, theoretically, if they get their asses in gear and they need to do it right now. Like last night, they fell behind 2-0, and that nightly boat race was on. And like most nights, it felt like they had no life, no energy, no juice for that team at all. Then again, for good reason, because they've scored three runs or less in 11-17 games this year. Man, that's so bad. That is so bad, you almost have to tip your cap to them. What happened to these so-called savages in the box? Remember this rant from Aaron Boone back in the day? Get
2: out, Aaron! Our guys are f***ing savages in that f***ing box, right? And you're having the first f***ing the You're for it. Our guys are f***ing savages in that box. Our guys are savages in that box. I can right Like,
0: Remember that. Remember that, when they were bleeping savages. My guys are savages in that box. Yeah, that was, that was then, this is now. Then they were savages. Now they're just slugs, stiffs. And when they're getting out of the box, it's not like they're tearing down the baseline either. You check out Gleyber Torres with that check swing tapper in front of the plate last night. He jogged a first. Yeah, I know. I know. 999 times out of 1,000, that's an out. But when you're that bad, especially, maybe you run out every single contact. That's taught to you from the moment they put a bat in your hands. Failing to do that is letting the game down. It's letting your team down. And if there's a certain red-ass reliever in your dugout, it could get you strangled. You know, like Jonathan Papelbon deciding to take the law in Bryce Harper's throat into his own hands back in the day. Bryce
3: Harper will hit it in the air to left. Jeff Korn after switching over, makes that catch. There is something going on in the dugout.
2: see Papelbon saying run the ball out. And Bryce saying, you got to be kidding me. And then Pappelbaum went right after Harper. It's getting ugly, folks. There's no other way to put it. And then you can read his lips. He told him, you got to run that ball out. And Bryce Harper said, are you kidding me? That's not good. Unbelievable. And turmoil in the dugout. That stuff happens throughout the course of the season. but With Bryce Harper. Not often enough. nose-to-nose with Jonathan Papelbon.
0: Quote, that stuff happens over the course of a season. Not often enough. I love, oh, it's getting ugly in here. No, it's getting awesome in here. You have a reliever choking a franchise player in the dugout. Find me something better in the history of sports than that. Can I repeat that? You had a reliever in the dugout choking a franchise player for not running a ball out or not hustling. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. I just don't think that Kenley Jansen is ever going to wrap up on Mookie Betts in the Dodger dugout. Anyway, Darren O'Day did not choke out Torres when he got back to the dugout. Not as far as I can tell. Boone, though, sounded like he at least thought about it, telling the media that he would be talking to Torres about that
2: and more. I I think anytime you got that kind of situation where a guy's got to get off the mound, you got to get after it. I mean, that's got to be a little bit better, obviously.
0: Obviously. As for Torres himself, like, dude, what are you thinking, man? You're a major leaguer. What do you have to say for yourself? It was a check swing, and
4: in that moment, I uh, really, I don't know if it was fair or foul. I don't see the ball really well,
0: and I feel like I started run late, but uh, I feel like I can put a little bit more effort run to the, the first base. I'd have to agree with you, G. You could put in a little more effort in running to first base. In fact, I would say... That you couldn't put in any less effort into running into first base. Hey, listen, I know it's frustrating when everybody is slumping at the exact same time, but hustling is one way to get out of a slump. Do not send me your Mark Grace resets. It's 2021, all right? It's not 1997. Turn the page, turn the decade, turn the quarter century. Anyway, you might want to hustle. It's a good way to bust out of a slump, especially when you're only down by three runs at home. Now, I'm not going to be one of those lava artists that comes in here and says the Yankees season is over before the month of April is over. I know how these things can turn and that the Yankees do actually have some heavy artillery in that lineup. The group that was in the top four in runs scored each of the last four years did not just forget how to hit. I know this. But they are gripping hard, and they're turning their bats into sawdust right now. And if they're going to turn this thing around this year, they better do it soon. Because while it is a long season, it can get pretty late, pretty early, if you're sucking the way they're sucking right now. The only thing keeping me from burying these dudes right now is that I did try to do it back in the day, and no less an authority Then Yankees superfan Adam Sandler came on this show and he jumped my bleep for doing so.
3: Man, the Yankees, uh, what do you think about that, Tim?
0: They're dead. They're done. What do you mean they're dead? dead. It's nine now. He set me up for that, didn't he? My man set me up for that. I know this. What up, Adam? I know this. Looking up at the Jays and the Orioles, you know old man george steinbrenner is just turning in that pine box let me tell you about an absolutely amazing product that i found that i use that i absolutely love theragun do not let the stress of daily life weigh on your body whether you're an elite athlete or somebody just like me just trying to make it through the day tension free theragun can help Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun does not just feel good, it gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. I'm telling you, this product is absolutely amazing. And it's trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of customers, and me. Try Theragun for thirty days, starting at only one hundred and ninety-nine dollars. Go to Theragun.com slash Rome right now. Get your Gen four Theragun today. Some of the greatest athletes in the world are using it. You should too. Theragun.com slash Rome. Theragun.com slash Rome. We are joined by Nate McMillan. Nate, it is so good to have you back. How are you, Nate?
1: I'm doing good, Jim. How are you, man?
0: Good, good. Good to visit with you. Nate, let me start first with uh the tricky stuff. Trey Young went down last night with an injury against the Knicks. Can I get your reaction when you saw that and what is the latest on his status?
3: Uh
1: I mean it just just shock, you know. Um he was going in for a uh attempt at the basket uh, uh in the paint and landed on someone's foot and just uh it just looked really bad uh when it first happened. But once we got in the locker room uh he didn't have a lot of swelling uh x-rays were negative and he's going to get an mri today and just crossing our fingers that uh you know that will come up uh, negative as well but just you know just a shock with uh with all the injuries that we've had uh you know this season uh we was in a you know we're in a huge race right now uh to finish this 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 season And, uh, you know, New York was a half a game behind us last night. It was a big game for us. And to lose him, uh, you know, in that situation when we we felt like we had control of that game uh, was a big loss last night.
0: We're talking to Nate McMillan. I appreciate your thoughts on that, Nate. In fact, let me ask you because you did have an injury, or I should say you had a lead when he got hurt, and then the team just kept battling and kept grinding. Bogdan Bogdanovich had a three to tie it and send the game into overtime. Obviously, you want to win that game. I know this. But what did your team show you in the way that it battled on without Young?
1: There's no quit in these guys. You know, Uh, Clint uh, Capella also went down uh, in that game late in that game. You know, just really felt uh, he went, uh, was going up for a shot, was kind of undercut and fell flat on his back and uh, had some spasms during that game. We didn't know if he would be able to finish Uh, You know, he sucked it up and and had to finish that game. Uh, You know, we had a number of guys who, uh, you know, Brandon Goodwin uh, had to come in and uh, replace Trey. Uh, So, you know, we we have a lot of guys with a lot of tweaks. And, you know, coming off a back-to-back, both uh, us and New York, were coming off back-to-back games. So uh, just really a a grueling, a grinding game. And, you know, to see the guys uh, just, you know, try to stay with it, I uh, continue to fight, uh, you know, when we lost Trey, they continue to fight. We continue to uh, make plays and gave ourselves a chance to, uh, you know, Get the game into overtime, but we just didn't have enough in overtime to uh to finish
0: Nate Mcmillan joining us once again. you know, Nate, when you came to Atlanta to be Lloyd Pierce's assistant, you were very clear that you were not there to look over his shoulder. you were there to help him and assist him. I've always enjoyed my time with Lloyd, so I'm curious what was it like for you when the team decided to move on from him and name you as the interim
1: it was it was uh it was tough, you know uh, Lloyd and I talked about uh you know this ver- this situation um, before i even came down you know uh when he came up to visit with me and to uh, have a conversation about coming down and uh being an assistant and really my role was to assist the the uh the, the staff you know the assistant coaches as well as as uh, lloyd and you know one of the things i talked to him about you know if uh because he was trying to take his team to to the next level you know i've been in this situation before uh where you are trying to uh you know get your team into the playoffs he has a young roster uh the organization was going to make changes uh this season and they did you know, they brought in veterans uh to help the team take the next step brought in rondo uh galinari uh Badonavich. Uh, a a lot of veterans to help a young young roster take the next step. So we talked about, you know, if things didn't go well, you know, if you drop three, four, five games in a row, you know, the media is going to start talking about that type of situation where you're uh, replacing. And, you know, he was totally confident uh, that he wasn't concerned about that. And, uh, you know, so – Agreed to come down with him you know I, he he's very impressive you know that's the reason uh that I came down to uh be on his staff you know to to work with him uh he sold me on his plan and uh you know what he was trying to do and I felt that uh you know at that time you know I I, I wanted to, to you try to make make that role work which was to assist the the coaches as well as Lloyd and it just didn't work out that way so when uh, everything went down it was it was really tough to uh, step in and fill in for him because i as I told him and 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 uh, everyone else said, that's not what I came down for uh, came down here for uh, he gave me pretty much his blessings to look I think you should take it over uh, you know move forward with the group and uh, made the decision to do that and here we are.
0: I was going to say, Nate, I'm not at all surprised to hear you lay it out like that. I'm not surprised to hear that that's how he handled it or that that's how you handled it, as challenging as that could be. And I'm curious, the team, even despite the injuries, the team has played great ball since you took over. And the record shows that you're the Eastern Conference Coach of the Month for March. You're in the hunt for a divisional title right now. I get, Nate, that you're focused on the very next game. But does this feel like a group that you would want to keep coaching for years to come?
1: Well, my my plan was to just you know uh, talk with uh, management and uh, the organization, and you know nothing has been offered. Uh, I haven't asked for anything. They haven't offered anything. You know the plan is to finish the season and to to get into the playoffs. Uh, they uh, basically want really to to win games, and you know that was the goal and the plan from the beginning of the season. So. You know that's pretty much where my mind is at, you know, trying to win games and trying to get this uh, this team, uh, this organization into the playoffs. you know, at the end of the season, uh, we'll see what happens.
0: We're talking to Nate McMillan. Nate, go back to Trey for a minute if you would. like you had seen him from afar and you had coached against him before you arrived in Atlanta. What do you know about him and his game now that maybe you did not know before? and what's it been like to coach him?
1: He's a very talented player. You know, he's, he's like, uh, you know, most of these uh, number one options on a team. You know, when I coached against him, uh, you certainly planned uh, for him. And, you know, things you tried to do was, you know, you take the ball out of his hands. Uh, you had to trap him. Uh, you, you really had to disrupt uh, his rhythm because he pretty much was the head of the snake. And, you know, since being here, uh, he's definitely that guy you know, he's the guy for us. He's the guy who establishes our tempo and who creates a lot of offense, not only for himself, but for, uh, for, for the team. And, you know, what, what, what I'm learning is he's a young guard that's learning, uh, to establish himself in this league and to take that next step, uh, far as establishing yourself and winning. Okay. That, that's, that's, Two different things you know because you're you're uh there' are things that you have to adjust to you have to adapt to and you have to uh, continue to find ways to be productive in order to give yourself a chance to win games and, and you know those are things that he's going through he's seeing uh the uh, the defense really basically try to take him out he's seeing bigger defenders he's seeing um, uh traps. Uh, he has seen many times boxing one uh, defenses, so all of those things he's seeing a lot. I think a lot for the first time. Uh, he has to still find ways to be productive and win ball games, and uh, you know, late in the game, managing uh, that fourth quarter uh, and, and and putting your team in a position to win games. Those are things that uh, he's going through. I've seen some growth. He has to continue to grow in that area.
0: Nate McMillan joining us. Nate, one last thought. You know, when you talk about how this is all part of his maturity, his growth, his evolution, go back to when you were a young coach. For instance, when you took over in Seattle, you received letters from Lenny Wilkins and Mike Fratello, two of my favorite guys. I used to love talking to both of them. They told you, be yourself and coach what you know. What did it mean at that time for you to hear from those two legends? And why is that simple message so critical?
1: Well, it, 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 it's the same thing that I, you know, those were the words that I gave, uh, you know, to Lloyd. Um, you know, you, you got to be yourself and you got to coach what you know. You know, I'll come down and, and certainly uh, try to help you, but your team will, will, uh, figure that out. You know, if you're trying to be someone else or do some, do something or teach something that you don't know, uh, that your team will, will figure that out and it, they, they, they won't buy into it they won't buy into what you are trying to uh create you know so that was something that uh, I, I got from coach uh fratello and lenny wilkins and that's what i've done you know i've basically tried to take from really all the coaches that i played for you know even you know if you can go as far back as my high school coaches and junior college coaches and coach favano and my nba coaches and uh, basically, I've, I think I've taken a little bit from all of those guys, and, and even guys that I've worked with, uh, you know, during my time, uh, my system coaches, and uh, you know, coaching with the Olympic team, Coach K and Coach Beheim and Mike D'Antoni, and you just created create a system that I believe in, and 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 teach the things that I know uh, on both ends of the the floor. Uh, It works for me, uh, you know, trying to go out and and do some things. And I've worked with some great coaches, uh, Coach Carl, and uh, as I mentioned, Coach K, and, uh, I mean, just a number of of, of great coaches. Trying to be those guys can't do it. You know, I I think you have to be yourself Uh, when when I think when players uh, see uh, where you're coming from, they know where you're coming from uh, they tend to believe uh what you are trying to uh to do and teach and uh you know so I've always tried to. Uh, follow that, follow those words uh, from
0: those coaches. I think it goes without saying, Nate, you've had an amazing basketball life. I always, always love getting caught up with you, chopping it up with you. Atlanta's playing great ball there in first place. Nate, I appreciate you, and I appreciate the relationship, and it's great to have you back on the show. Nate, thanks so much for doing that. That was great.
1: All right, Jim. Thank you.
0: Oh man, I cannot wait to tell you about my new X chair. I love my X chair. I have never had an office chair that looks or feels so amazing in my entire life. I mean, honestly, it is so comfortable. I can sit for hours and never feel uncomfortable. The secret is not only their patented dynamic variable lumbar DVL support, which happens to offer incredible lumbar support to my lower back, but now thanks to their new XHMT technology, I can also get heat and massage therapy while I'm sitting at my desk. Are you kidding me about that? So instead of my old uncomfortable office chair, which I hated, now I look forward to spending hours sitting in the ultimate therapeutic massager. It even has four different massage modes and fast warming heat technology for therapy when I'm busted up. I'm telling you, you will not believe the X-chair difference until you feel the X-chair difference for yourself. Trust me, this is the luxury supercar of office chairs. And X-chair is on sale right now for $100 off. Go to xchairrome.com now. That's the letter X, Chair. Rome.com or call 1844 chair XChair. XChair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to XCHAIRRome.com right now. Use the code XWheels for free X wheel blade casters. XChairRome.com. All right, so in case you forgot, Nick Seriani. Nick Seriani is the new head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. And in case you forgot, he did not get off to the best start at his introductory presser. Remember, it went like this.
2: Next thing that's very important to me is that we build a smart football team, that we have a smart football team here. And I know we have the, the people in place to do that. The first part of that, the first part of being smart is knowing what to do. We're going we're gonna to have systems in place that are easier to learn. All right, complicated to the defense or offense that they're going against or the special teams group they're going against, but easy for us to learn. Because when we can put that, because we when we can learn our system and we can get good at our system, then our talent can take over. Less thinking equals talent take over. But we need to have systems in place, and we will have systems in place to do so.
0: Like, to call that coach speak would be an insult to coaches. To call that a word salad Would be an insult to both words and salad. That was like 40 seconds of pure, unadulterated, uncut gibberish. In fact, gibberish probably isn't even the word. What's the word I'm looking for? What's the word I'm looking for? Hmm. Bullcrap. Yeah, that's it. 40 seconds of bullcrap. It was the worst look at an introductory presser since Ben McAdoo showed up wearing a suit that was about 50 sizes too large. Hey, by the way, if you haven't Googled that image in a while, take a look. It's amazing. But I don't want to rush in and kill a coach for a bad opening presser. There have been a lot of guys who have won the presser and then never won Jack after that. And then you've got a lot of guys who messed up the joint when they were introduced and then went on to become successful coaches. So why don't we check back in on Nick and see exactly how he's doing now? Why don't we find out how he's approaching the draft evaluation process? Yesterday, he met with the media and said that he's looking for guys who love football and guys who love to compete. That's something that he's always evaluating. So as part of the process, he's been playing games with draft prospects. You might be wondering, what kind of games? Well, let me let Nick answer that for himself. Before I do, though. You know how every year we hear about teams asking guys really weird questions? You know, the kind of idiotic stuff like, would you rather be a cat or a dog? Or, what is the vegetable that most represents your personality? Or, is your mother a prostitute? You remember that one, right? You would think that in an era of Zoom meetings, these weird moments would go away.
2: Uh, Yeah, not with our legend Sirianni at the switch. They haven't. And I'll tell you, I think some of you guys are wondering, like, what game? We didn't go earth shattering on these games, right? I played a couple of them at rock, paper, scissors, right? (laughs) That was as easy as that. Rock, paper, scissors. Let's see how competitive you are. I'm competitive. I'm going to be talking trash to him. Did you talk trash back to me? Right? (laughs) Dude, you played rock,
0: paper, scissors with draft prospects over Zoom. That's part of your draft evaluation process. What, duck, duck, goose? Didn't want any of that. He couldn't figure out a way to do musical chairs or hide and seek or capture the flag over Zoom. What are ways that we could evaluate a prospect? Let me think. Let me think. I don't know. We could talk to him like adults, man to man. We could be professionals. Or we could play Red Rover in Cat's Cradle. We could look at his tape and have him break down plays, or we can just play marbles or jacks. I mean, that literally is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. And yet, at the same time, as dumb as that is, and as dumb as that is, like the dumbest thing I've ever heard, this guy could not be any more proud of it as he is. Did you hear how hyped up he was talking about that? This guy couldn't wait to bring it up. He was thinking, man, this is going to absolutely slay They're going to forget about my introductory presser altogether. This is going to prove that I am, in fact, the smartest, hardest, toughest, most competitive guy in the room. This guy could not utter the phrase rock, paper, scissors enough in that one-minute clip. This guy would not stop talking about rock, paper, scissors. I've never seen anybody more hyped about anything than this dude is about playing rock, paper, scissors over Zoom.
2: Rock, paper, scissors. Let's see how competitive you are. And
0: it's not even that he wants to just talk about it or is hyped about it. He wants to talk trash while he's doing it. Man, Can you imagine being a draft prospect and you're getting ready for this meeting with the Philadelphia Eagles and you got some kook wanting to play rock, paper, scissors with you. You got to be like, wait, man, who let that intern into the Zoom waiting room? I thought that I was going to be talking to the head coach. Well, that is the head coach. Yeah, I'm not sure I want to be drafted by a head coach who's this into rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, I don't know, man. Maybe it's just me. I don't think the hoodie is playing rock, paper, scissors with his draft prospects.
2: Rock, paper, scissors. Let's see how competitive you are.
0: It's a good thing these dudes are online. Or else my guy would be playing thumb wars and trying to arm wrestle guys to draft evaluate them. If I'm Howie Roseman... And I'm sitting up there and I see my new head coach getting that fired up in front of the media about rock, paper, scissors. I'm going to start my own personal fire Howie chant to get the hell out of there. But that's not all this guy was talking about. He wasn't just doing that rock, paper, scissors thing. He also had some thoughts on the Eagles quarterback situation and namely that he will not be naming
2: Jalen Hurts the starter not yet he won't to name any starters at this particular time I just we've been working with these guys for 2 days right we've been working with these guys for 2 days my biggest thing is competition and you want to know why it's because he really really likes competition Again, we've talked a little bit about my core values. It's my second core value. It's this team's second core value. Competition's a huge thing. And we're going to have competition at every position.
0: His first core value is rock, paper, scissors. His second core value is Red Rover, Red Rover. Can Jalen come over?
2: Rock, paper, scissors. Let's see how competitive you are.
0: Listen to this cat, man. My man's just free-flowing and acting like he's just slaying. Like he's just... Owning the room.
2: Rock, paper, scissors. Let's see oh, how Oh, no, but no, Jalen Hurts.
0: No, 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 no. He doesn't get the job yet. Not until he's proven that he's competitive. Not until Jalen starts kicking everybody's ass in rock, paper, scissors on the regular does he get anywhere near under center. Besides, why eliminate a controversy when you can actually start one? Why name the young guy the starter when you can insult him? by putting him into an unnecessary quarterback competition. I mean, you could just name Jalen Hurts the starting quarterback, or you can make him compete with, wait for it, a little longer, Joe Flacco. Hell yes. Having a quarterback competition between Hurts and Flacco is an elite idea. What a competitive notion that is. And you know, Flacco's fired up. My man has not been that jacked since he talked about running onto the field to tackle a guy during kickoff in a Super Bowl.
4: Hey, if he breaks it, if he busts this for some reason, tackle him. Go tackle
0: him. I don't know what the rule is on that, but I will. I'm going to. Can't you just imagine on draft night, the camera's going to go live into the Eagles' war room, and my man Nick is going to have all the scouts playing Simon Says. Simon Says. Hey, hey, yo. Who are we taking here? Don't worry about that. Red light, green light. Hey, hey, who should we take in this spot? I don't know. Let's play Heads Up 7-Up. Hey, jump out into the pool on that. And then once you do, play Marco Polo. Music stopped. Find a chair. Dude, are you kidding me? I was on that chair. That's mine. When you call a Dell Technologies advisor, you are talking to somebody who is not waiting for their return to speak. No, they actually want to hear what you have to say. They're focused on you, ready to give advice on everything from laptops to the cloud and offer tailored solutions powered by Intel vPro platform to keep your small business ready for what's next. Our advisors listen so you know your small business needs have been heard. Call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK. Dell. My guest is Tom Allen. Tom, good to have you back. How are you, Tom?
4: I'm doing great. So awesome to be back on your show.
0: It is so great to have you on this show. So let me first ask you, when you and I last spoke, we talked about, in fact, last couple of times, the vision that you had for when you took that program over, it was a place that had not had a lot of success, but you saw potential there, obviously. Now you're coming off a year, Tom, where you spent much of the year in the top 10. What's that feel like? Does it feel like that vision is now officially a reality? Well,
4: there's no question it's becoming a reality, and and that's the key, you know we talk about it before, there's a reality' there's a mentality, and we had to change the mindsets around here, we had to create a level of expectation and and change the belief system here. And so that's what we've been trying to do systematically, and it's been uh, an awesome thing to be a part of.
0: Tom Allen joining us. So what about that? Where does that leave you in the sense that you had the kind of season you had last year, you raised that bar, you changed the mentality, so then what's the approach this year? For instance, is last year ancient history, or do you approach it now like you are the hunted instead of the hunters?
4: Well, we still didn't reach our goals, you know, and I think that's key. And so we've uh, the focus for this off season and for the 2021 season is about chasing greatness. And so that's our one word for 2021 is chase. And so we've uh, attacked that mindset. You know, we fell short of our goals for 2020, though know, we did some great things as a football team, and, and as you mentioned, raise the bar. Uh, but we want to continue to grow and develop this program. And and i got big dreams for this place, and I, and I want our guys to understand that. And so the reality is we fell short in some key areas, and so we're going to take the momentum that we've created and build off of that. So we're chasing greatness every single day here at Indiana.
0: We are talking to Tom Allen, head coach of Indiana. Now, one of the things that you've talked about that I thought was really interesting was the fact that last season was especially challenging for all players, but in particular for guys on the lines, offensive and defensive linemen. Can you lay that out for me? What do you mean by that? And have you noticed a difference this year?
4: Well, I think the the biggest thing and the obvious thing was uh, those guys that are in the trenches, uh, the they're not the guys that love to go out and run, uh, when they're, uh, just given the freedom to do whatever they need to do. They're going to go in there and lift weights, but, uh, their weight became an issue. Guys gaining some bad weight during the pandemic, uh, even though we had them on some strict, uh, things to try and prevent that from happening, it was just inevitable. And so I just think in the weight room usage and the lack thereof and guys having to, to be able to do, uh, workouts in their apartments and, and not have even, uh, you know, even free weights to even use was a challenge. And, you know, push-ups and situps are great, but that only takes you so far. So I just think all the physical challenges that they uh, were, were faced with and with their diets and some gained some bad weight. So I feel like that right now, I was so excited for them to be able to spend an entire offseason with our shrink staff. And we're seeing the benefits of that already. I'm sure everybody across the country is going to be in the same boat. But uh, that, to me, is what uh, is the biggest difference from last year to this year.
0: Tom Allen joining us. Tom, this is why I like talking to you. I'm feeling that energy once again. People around you talk about the fact that you've never, never have had an unenthusiastic day. I love yeah. that. How do you go about doing that? Is that a choice that you make every single day? And if so, how do you do that?
4: Well, it is a choice, and that's the reason why it's powerful, because we control it. You know, it's a, it's a bad feeling when you got things in your life you can't control, but, uh, our attitude, our effort, uh, the way you approach each day, the energy you bring each day—that is a choice. And so, to me, uh, I have to make that decision when I get out of bed. And, and to me, I got a team that I'm responsible for. I got a coaching staff that's uh, relying upon me to be able to bring that energy every single day. And so, and it's infectious. And our guys have bought into that, and they understand that they got to play to a certain standard here. They got to prepare with a certain standard here of energy and effort, and that there's the uh, it's not compromised. And uh, I accept nothing but their absolute best every single day. So I got to give it. My best every day. So that's what you're going to see, and that's the expectation.
0: I I think there is so much in that response that I could respond to, and I, I love that, that part of the standard is energy. Part of the standard is enthusiasm, that there's a lot of people relying upon you, so you yourself need to bring it every single day as a leader. I love that response. Let me ask you about Michael Penix Jr. He suffered that torn ACL in the win over A in Maryland last season, the win over Maryland. Where is he in the rehab process, and what kind of expectations, Tom, do you have for him this season?
4: Well, the good news is he's right on schedule and I uh, feel really good about uh, the preparation that he's putting in right now on a daily basis to, to get his rehab where it needs to be and to continue to grow and develop in, in his strength of his upper body and, and his total body as well. So I, I'm encouraged by that. He has to stay the course. He has to have a great summer. Uh, we expect him to be uh, uh, back with us and ready to go into fall camp uh in in a full way at that point so and i expect to be our starting quarterback we take the field on september 4th so uh, but the bottom line is he has to stay stay the course through his rehab and and uh, the entire team has to do all the little things right and he's one of them
0: so let me ask you this when he's right when he's healthy how special can he be for this team and then where would you rank him among the best quarterbacks in the country
4: well i I think you're right when he is healthy uh, he's elite And uh, he has a a very, very special arm talent uh, that he brings, uh, but he also has amazing poise. And I think um, probably his strongest asset to me is his ability to to read coverages and make quick decisions and distribute the ball in a very efficient way. So uh, I just know that uh, because of all those things and what he's done already at this level, he has a chance to be one of the top quarterbacks in the country. You know, I don't know what number he might be, but uh, he has to to prove himself once again and during the 2021 season and stay healthy and stay out there for his teammates. And so I know he uh, has every intention to do that, and uh, he's a special young man. So we're excited to have him. And can't wait to see what 2021 brings for Michael Penix and the Indiana Hoosiers.
0: Indiana head football coach Tom Allen joining me for a few more moments. I mentioned off the top that you're going to open up the season with Iowa. It does not get a lot easier after that. You've played some pretty tough schedules in your time at Indiana. Where does this one rank? And then how do you go about preparing your guys for that schedule?
4: Well, every year it's, it's always a difficult one, but I, I think if this probably has to be the toughest one just because you've got a non-conference opponent in Cincinnati that's a top 10 team. Uh, we haven't had a non-conference team ranked this high, uh, before and, uh, very, very uh, good football team. Coach Fickle there's done a tremendous job building that program. So yeah, you're always going to have tough. Schedule within conference, and we go across division and open, as you mentioned at Iowa, which is a very very difficult place to play. And so uh, you mix that in with uh, the typical Big Ten East opponents that we always have. So, but you know what? We we just uh, we embrace that. We're excited about the challenge. If you want to be the best, you got to go beat the best, and so that's where we're at. And that's uh, that's life in the Big Ten East.
0: So let me finally ask you something. You told the athletic quote, "I never ask my players how you feeling. I ask how you thinking. Right. What is the thinking behind that? Why is that an important distinction?"
4: Well, because the way we feel can deceive us, and it can lie to us, and uh, we start listening to those things, and we start reacting to how we feel. uh, We're going to make a lot of bad decisions. It's how you think. It's it's something you can completely control. And so to me, you know, we control our mindset, and we control the way we attack every single day, and we're not going to allow the circumstances of the day to affect the way we uh, attack the day. And so to me, it's, it's once again, it's about a choice that you make. And so uh, I understand what that means. And so uh, you want to verbalize it. So therefore, I want to make sure I do a great job of making sure our guys are thinking a certain way every single day, and they're chasing after greatness, like a, a, a roaring lion is chasing after its prey. That's the way I want us to be chasing after the Big Ten Championship here at Indiana.
0: You're speaking my language. All right, finally, Tom, if you are what you eat, I've got to know, there are stories about you know you going on recruiting trips to certain areas maybe down south the story goes that you're not necessarily a fan of spicy food grant Hurd has this great story about how you were once given a big bowl of spicy gumbo and it kept getting worse with each progressive bite what happened that day at that meal
4: uh that was a brutal brutal home visit um yeah you know, i just uh but you know what here you got to do what you got to do and you you can't uh, upset mama so Mama fixed it, so I was going to eat it, and it was a probably the longest meal of my life. Um, it had that lasting ramifications for for my internal system and the way that I functioned after that. But the bottom line is, is that uh, you do what we got to do to to try and uh, make it a great visit for the family, and uh, that meant um, enduring a very difficult, long, very very spicy meal that I will never forget. But I've learned this, so I've told our coaches, man, just tell them to order pizza. And, uh, and when you do that, everything else is pretty good.
0: No doubt. Tom Allen is the head football coach at Indiana, entering his fifth full season. They do open up their season at Iowa on September 4th. Tom, it's great to visit with you. Thank you very much. Always good to have you on this show. Well done. So much a pleasure of mine. You have an awesome day. Leo. So something's going to happen for the first time on Saturday at UFC 261. First time in a long time. We're talking about fist fights in front of a full in-person audience in Jacksonville, Florida. Hell yes. It's going to happen. I'm more about, I mean, I'm sure Dana White is going to like that full house. I'm more about who's going to get in the cage. That's what I'm about. And who better to invite to a fist fight... And to close the evening with, then a dude who has been brawling on the streets of Miami since he was in elementary school, one Jorge Bleeping Masvidal. If you do not believe me, if you don't believe that whole street fight statement, just hit up YouTube. For real, do this. Do this sometime. Type in Jorge Masvidal Street Fights. It is absolutely amazing. You will not be disappointed, and you're welcome. It's incredible. Now, here's the thing with my guy, Jorge, and Saturday night. As difficult as some of those street fights that you see him in, as difficult as some of those fights were, his toughest fister to date is going to be Saturday night. You see, Jorge will not be trying to give Kimbo Slice's friend, Ray, the hands. He'll be trying to, once again, give them to the champ, Kamaru Usman, The only guy in the conversation who could challenge George St. Pierre as the greatest welterweight of all time. A man who is a perfect 12-0 in the UFC. The man who got the best of Masvidal this past summer on Fist Island. No offense, Jorge, my guy. I know you said your rematch with Ray in that Miami backyard was one of the toughest of your entire career. And this is not a street fight by any means. But my dude, and you know this, you know you're my guy. You know this. You are my guy, but you got your hands full with Usman. Usman is next level. Now, here's what makes this interesting. In Jorge's defense, yes, he lost the first time they fought, but he took that first fight on six days' notice. Six days. He had to cut like 20 pounds in under a week. There's no way he was in the shape for a five-round title fight. Not on six days' notice. Not having to cut that kind of weight. I mean, I get that my dude's name is Gamebread. You know that for a reason. You know that he's always willing to apply violence and rattle another man's brain cage anytime, anywhere, in the street, or otherwise. But he was not in fight shape, period. The fact that he was even willing to take on that fight on such short notice tells you how this guy's built. It just was not realistic. Not against a dude like Usman, who might be the most disciplined, hardest-working, committed fighter to his craft. Period. On six days' notice? Come on. That was not going to happen. And then you saw how that played out. Usman took him down at will, controlled him on the mat in a one-sided fight. There's nothing more exhausting than fighting somebody with Usman style, i.e., constant Relentless pressure and wrestling with a full camp, let alone on short notice, even for game bread. Now, what I love about this fight, one, he's going to get a full camp. He knows. Two, outside of these dudes being really good and making people bleed for a living, these two warriors hate each other. They hate each other. They are absolute opposite human beings, and they despise what the other stands for. And the hate is legit. It's raw and it's legit. I've seen it firsthand. I saw it in 2019 on Radio Row. Jorge was on the set with me talking about this same disdain for Usman. Then right after the fight was over, he runs into the champ, and the two of them nearly start throwing right there on Radio Row. If you know anything about Jorge... It's actually a shock that he didn't let his hands go. He always goes. That's what makes this guy so appealing to the fans. That's why people love Jorge Masvidal. Like, there's fighters, and then there's Masvidal. Remember his real mainstream coming out party in London in 2019, when he was a giant underdog against the hometown hero Darren Till? Yeah, right up until that last second when he iced till Ice. with a highlight knockout. And then he followed it backstage by doing this.
2: It's a, it's a drug that
4: most people haven't ever tasted. Mans try to duplicate it, but they can't find the recipe for it, you know?
0: So I'm glad I got the recipe.
2: Let's talk about that opening sequence. Maybe, maybe not.
0: <laughs> if you hey, come over here save in my face. One of the most amazing things I've ever seen. You didn't see that right there because that was audio and not video. It was one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen. So Jorge finishes off Till in spectacular fashion. He's doing a post-fight interview and old Leon Edwards is popping off to the side and Jorge said, yo, come over here. He'd already had a fight. He goes over and he drops what he called a, quote, three-piece with the soda on old Leon Edwards. An amazing moment. Michael Bisping's live reaction to it as an analyst, a fellow fighter, is off the charts. Uh, I mean, one of my favorite things ever. Not only did I love it, but the fans loved it. And then, so now the Jorge Masvidal legend is growing, right? Knocks out a guy, then gives another guy a three-piece in a soda, and then you know what happened next, right? Next time out, he becomes a superstar in a matter of seconds. Ben Askren, I'm sorry ahead of time, but I got to roll this. These guys just flapping gums at each other. Any chance they get. The fight clock is brought to you by Modell. Ben, I'm really sorry I had to do that. You're still a great dude. They didn't even get out. This fight clock is brought to you by before my man is asleep. He is out cold. Ben, I'm sorry I had to do that, but I'm trying to tell a story here. I'm trying to get ready for a fight, Ben. You understand, right?
3: I got knocked out by Jake Paul. It's embarrassing.
0: Nah. Yeah, that, actually, that, that was not that night. That would come later on. That was the Jorge ice job which was a little less embarrassing. And then you got knocked out by Jake Paul, remember? Anyway, my point is, Jorge is an assassin in the cage and on the streets. And he feels like he's at his best now. He's become the best version of himself. He had a couple of wins. Then he beat my guy, Nate Diaz. What up, Nate? I love Nate. Love Nate. But I digress. Point is, Jorge feels like he has never been better mentally or physically question that is does Jorge's best beat Usman's best because we know we're gonna get Usman's best I don't know I don't know man Jorge's my guy but Usman is so good he is so so good and so motivated and so focused and he wants to rip Jorge's soul he is Bruce Feldman Bruce good to have you on how are you Bruce
3: I'm doing great. Good to be on with you, Jim.
0: It's good to have you, Bruce. Thanks so much. You've got a great piece up right now for The Athletic. where you talk with two dozen NFL coaches and scouts about players in the draft. And you've got details about what it's been like, Bruce, for draft evaluation video calls with the players. For those who have not read the piece yet, there's this one story involving a mother who was on the call and another when a player wanted to know when the call was going to be over. What happened in those incidents and what has that part of the process been like for everybody?
3: Yeah, it's been kind of crazy and chaotic. So the one story um, involving that one player and the mom just kind of, she did not want her son to interview with a, with a team. And uh, you know, the, the team was kind of blown away by it a little bit. And this is a talented player, albeit a really inconsistent one. Um, And it's definitely not going to help him. I would think in the draft process, but you know, I was told she basically said, I'll do his talking for him. And (laughs) the team was like, hey, look, uh, recruiting's over. In the NFL, we pick you. You don't pick us. And apparently this mom was used to that's how it was, I guess, four or five years ago. And Um, that probably doesn't bode well for for this guy's draft stock.
0: What a wild story. I'm going to do the talking for him. That is something else. Bruce Feldman joining us. All right, so what about the evaluations themselves, starting with Trevor Lawrence? Like, it's been pretty interesting in the sense that you really can't find anybody seemingly who has anything bad to say about him at all. So what did the people that you spoke with say about him and his game? Is there anybody out there that wants to be an outlier that will point out a flaw or anything negative about him at all?
3: Not really, nothing that's glaring. I think the the one thing I heard the most from quarterback coaches in the NFL was just okay. The system he ran in, at Clemson, there's going to be a little, be a bit of a transition and a learning curve. Um, it's not as pro NFL ready as what say Mac Jones ran with Steve Sarkeesian at Alabama, but everybody is convinced, you know, from their interviews because he has he's also played a lot of football at a high level for three years at Clemson that. Uh, character wise and tangible wise, he's terrific. Um, everybody likes him. He's got really good size, he has a really good arm. Um, he's very athletic. there's everybody likes there's you know, is he the perfect quarterback prospect? No, but there is nobody who is that. I mean, one of the coaches I talked to said, you know what? I evaluating him and Joe Burrow last year, I like Joe Burrow more. Um, now Trevor's arm is probably stronger. But both guys are athletic. Trevor's a little bigger. But Joe Burrow was doing more uh, in how he ran their system and empty protections and did a lot of stuff and just maybe saw the game at a, at, in a way uh, maybe that some of these prospects don't, at least not to the degree they do. But um, this guy is befitting of a first pick of the draft talent-wise,
0: no doubt. Bruce Feldman is joining us. All right, so these same coaches, what were they telling you about their impressions of Zach Wilson?
3: His is an interesting one because he has a, some of the one-year wonder quality where in 2019 he was banged up and played hurt and you know struggled at times. You saw some great stuff. You saw some not-so-great stuff. This past year, through no fault of BYU's, their schedule wasn't very good because they couldn't play Power 5 opponents. So people looked at it and said, okay, he didn't play great teams. Um, he played fantastic, but there is some concerns about – his play style, some of the decision-making people like, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be attempting that. Uh, One of the coaches I talked to said, listen, you know, he did not play in a, you didn't see him in a tight pocket a lot of times last year. And our league is a tight pocket league. He's also not the biggest guy. And yes, he has a really good arm, but there is some concern about, you know, how well will he hold up also, When he goes, if he does go to the Jets, as a lot of people expect with the number two pick, he is going to be expected to play right away. And it's not like um, he's going to be learning from somebody. He's also going into not having a lot of talent around him and the expectation that we know what the New York media market could be like. That is something that gives a lot of uh, people I talk to some real concern about how well will he do in that situation. It's not like Patrick Mahomes, who also had, you know, for as great as his arm talent was. And I know that people talk about, you know, Super Bowl winning quarterback and how terrific he's been. But coming out of Texas Tech, they were concerned about his decision making and some of the stuff, chances he would take. Patrick Mahomes went to the Kansas City Chiefs and had could learn behind Alex Smith, which was a great opportunity. and also has Andy Reid, was a terrific quarterback, developer and system that he had. Those things are not going to be in place when he goes to the Jets, if Zach Wilson does go to the Jets.
0: And Eric Biannimi, too, I think that's a really interesting point. Like, where you end up does matter. No matter who you are, it does matter. Bruce Feldman joining us. So, Bruce, what about the people you spoke to in terms of their evaluation of Trey Lance? What do they think about the number of games he played and the caliber of defenses that he went up against? What was the thought or the thoughts on him?
3: he is, as they explained, a really tough evaluation because he really had played one full season. And it's not like they threw it 50 times a game. It's a very pro-style play-action pass, under center. There's a lot of good things there. It's just a smaller sample size. The competition level was also a concern. You know, he, he, he... goes up against the defense and he makes somebody miss and gets a first down. That's not like making a defender in the SEC miss. And it's just the, the competition was not the same. Not to say that they do not really like what they see and aren't intrigued. But the things that are kind of eye-popping for them is he has a ton of juice in his arm. He, is, he probably has the strongest arm in this quarterback group. People said his maturity, A-plus, football IQ, A-plus there is a little bit of concern um, just about how quickly will he be ready because his mechanics a little bit, there's some stuff that they say that he needs to clean up. There's some inconsistency there in his mechanics, but in terms of the intangibles, people love the intangibles, everything that has come out of North Dakota state about him has been glowing. Um, It's just, you know, he's still really young, but. Um, there's a lot, a lot to like there.
0: We're talking to Bruce Feldman. He's got a great piece up on The Athletic right now about the draft. Bruce, before you go, what about Mac Jones? I mean, he went from being somebody that nobody really was thinking about or talking about after Tua left to being a possible top three pick overall. What do you make of that climb, and what did the quarterback coaches that you spoke with make of that climb?
3: Well, from a system standpoint, Jim, they say he is the most ready because of what he did at Alabama, how he operated it. Um, you hear a lot of really glowing things about his accuracy, how quickly he processes it and, and anticipates. Those are all really, really good things. The concern, that, you know, I heard from some quarterback coaches in the league was just, hey, is this guy physically what you would expect to see from a top-five pick? Um, because one of the things that had come up was, you know, does he have the athleticism within the pocket to be able to get his feet right? Because he doesn't have that big arm, and so he's going to need to be right from a, from a base standpoint. He can't get away with doing some of the stuff that Zach Wilson or Trey Lance or you know Justin Fields or certainly Trevor Lawrence can do. Um, just some of those things. But people I talk to in the league who've been in the league a long time said, you know what? if you look at these five guys and say, I got to win now and I got to get to eight and eight, they like him more than they like some of these other guys because they think he is more ready. The, the, the thing you hear a lot is he has a very high floor, but maybe his ceiling certainly isn't what Trey Lance's is or Zach Wilson's or really any of the other guys, at least how they interpret it. I mean, could he be a better version of Kirk Cousins? Absolutely. is is a better version of Kirk Cousins, somebody going to pick with the third pick in the draft? I don't know. Um, So that's where it's going to be really interesting and see if he does go to the 49ers and how he would fit there.
0: Bruce Feldman all over the upcoming NFL Draft. Bruce, one more guy I want to ask you about. Devontae Smith, so dominant last year at Alabama. He made things look so easy at the same time as we know he's not the biggest guy ever. He played last year at 170. Reportedly, Bruce, he weighed in at 166 recently. How big of a concern is that for the coaches you spoke with?
3: It's definitely a concern. Look, they love everything about him other than that. Great, great, unbelievable hand-eye coordination they talked about. You know, great body control, really, really smart and instinctive. But this is something one of the coaches had pointed out to me. It's the world we live in, man. Big guys beat up little guys. When you take a shot from the side, from these monsters, that's when you get AC issues. That's when you get collarbone issues. So no matter how tough he is, and no matter how willing he is, the durability part, I think, especially if you're talking about a top 15 pick, is something that there's going to be some hesitance. I mean, 166 pounds. We are not talking also about just a one dimensional kind of a situational guy. We're talking about a guy who a lot of people, if you're taking him that high, you're saying, can he be a number one receiver? Um, there's a lot there, there. You know, on film, it's great. Everything you hear from Alabama is great. It's just the durability concerns of how long can he play this way at that size. Um, is something you hear some debate about.
0: And that is such a good look at the upcoming NFL Draft. He is a reporter for Fox Sports and FS1, a national college football insider for The Athletic. He is a New York Times bestselling author and the latest book, of course, Flip the Script with Ed Orgeron, good friend of the program, Bruce Feldman. Bruce, well done as always. Thanks so much for doing that. Always a pleasure, Jim. Thank you for having me.
4: Good night now!